Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Hey, the 4th of July weekend, everybody, coming off Independence Day in the United States. That's right. To our friends in the UK, we're sorry we took your land, but you guys have way better television, so at least you can live with that. Yes, but hey, did you hear that that laugh, that that voice you might not recognize, or you might recognize? I think it was a ghost. There it is again. <laughs> Look at that. What's it's, happening here? It's Ben from Sunspot. That's right. And we're at Hello. we're at the rehearsal space. Mm-hmm. And Happy it, Independence Day, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're we're just coming off of the big Fourth of July weekend. Yep. So how was everyone's weekend? Um, hmm. Drank beer, sat in the sun. So it's pretty good. There you go. I would consider Check. that a success. Yes, that is I think a it's a win because yeah. I wasn't having to work. Yeah. Except Wendy, we worked this weekend. We did. Yes, we had a very fun time up at the. Convergence. Convergence Festival. We played a set for everybody at the Sci-Fi Convention. Yes, at and the Harmonic Convergence. Harmonic Convergence. That was our first real science fiction convention. Yes. So now we can say we've done the paranormal conventions and the science fiction ones. So and officially. It was super fun in Minneapolis. Thanks to Sharon and Rick, who yes. we love Yay. deeply and grossly. And to our friend Stuart as well. Yeah. Oh, who got man. us into a crazy dance party. Stuart got us into the sweet. rave at the end of the night. <laughs> it right. really was a sweet rave. We literally, I don't know if you noticed, we don't have any more booties because we danced them off. <laughs> yeah. You shook them right off. We Gone. did. You should see them. I used yeah, to have right. a big old butt when I walked in here too. But yeah, since we're here with Smell Ben, that. we thought we would introduce you to Ben. So Ben, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi everybody. Thanks for having me on the yeah. show. Yeah. And you've yeah. heard his guitar playing and you've heard his singing Many before. Times. So you should know him. Now you're speaking from well. the musical sense. But uh now you can hear him talk. So Ben, what, what would you anything special you want to say to everybody? Uh thanks for listening. There we go. Okay, good. That's keep, a good and, one. And keep doing it. <laughs> and if you guys like what you hear, uh check out otherSidepodcast.com slash D O N A T E. Yes. Spells That's donate. right. Correct. Spells. Donate. Do. S- spe- do. Well, I, <laughs> I don't feel like Nate. I don't like Nate, but don't do him. But, but do, do Nate us. And <laughs> it would be great. That's for our Patreon, our new way of supporting the uh, podcast and yep, just recordings and whatnot. Out. So, so okay. But out. one of our favorite places is a band to go. And this and this place makes me think about oh, Mer- yeah. Merca. Austin, Texas. Yes. Yes. What's your favorite thing about Austin, Ben? Everything. The people. Yes, I agree. The people there are The phenomenal. people are wonderful. Now, yeah. a couple years ago, we played in Austin, Texas. This may be five years ago now. That was the first day. Oh, six years. Oh, my God. Six years ago now. Stop it was the it. first wow. day that I went waveboarding. Oh, yeah. Remember waveboarding in the back of Swanee's boat? Wakeboarding. Wakeboarding, yep. And that was super fun. We got day drunk, wakeboarded, and then went to play at a place called the Ghost House that Ooh, night. The Ghost Room. The Ghost Room in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. Yeah. So today... Uh, we are talking to Mark Burrow and Billy Driver. Billy Driver is the guitar player in Gooding. Hey, all Such right. Such a great yeah. band. They should yep. be called Grading. They yeah. should be called Grading. They are a great band. Yeah. And um, they are also ghost hunters and paranormal investigators oh, cool. in Austin, Texas. And they have a show on public television down there called Strange Town. Nice. And they were both on the Ghost Brothers, too, like just in on Destination That's America so just cool. last month. So it's totally cool. And these guys are super nice guys. And I think you guys are going to enjoy the interview. All right. Looking forward to hearing it. Check it out. We're here today with paranormal investigators, Mark Murrow and Billy Driver, the co-founders of Strange Town, which is a, a ghost hunting uh, web series. Welcome, guys. Thank hey, you, Mark. Thank you. 
Good to be here. Yeah. All right. So give us the elevator pitch for Strange Town for people that might not be familiar with you yet. Uh, well, Strange Town is a paranormal uh, investigative series. Uh, we investigate supposedly haunted locations throughout Texas. And we visit these locations and we talk to the people that are involved in them, whether it's a restaurant or a home or an empty field, whatever the case may be. Uh, we talk to them. We hear their experiences. Um, we do as much of a thorough history as we can about the places. And then Billy and I go and spend the night there and do an investigation and see if we can recreate some of the evidence, some of the stories, and try to tie it all back into history. When did you guys originally start doing the show? Uh, we started uh, about two, three years ago. We, uh, we don't really know how we kind of talked about the subject at first, but we just, one day we just started telling ghost stories about our own personal experiences. And the building we happened to be in, we've always heard rumors that there was something going on upstairs. And um, we only had a few things. We had, I had like one camera that did night vision and we had voice recorders and stuff. So we kind of got permission to um, go upstairs to this uh, location and stay there overnight. Well, I guess for the most part. And that's pretty much where it all began. We kind of filmed it kind of like for our own sake. Mm -hmm. And we just got really good stuff. And I just kind of edited it together and we, it just turned into this pilot episode. Yeah, it started out very, very primitive. How did you guys know each other in the first place? So let's go back a, a little bit. And, um, you know, that you said you was telling each other ghost stories. You're like, hey, I think this place might be haunted. Let's break out the camera. <laughs> you know, how awesome is that? But... Were you guys buddies? How, how did you know each other in the first place? Because this is a big undertaking to do together. And I understand I've been in a band for, you know, 20 years with the same people. And sometimes it's um, <clears throat> the relationships over that course of time. You're like, oh, yeah, I knew that guy in high school. I knew that girl in college kind of thing. And then it all comes together. So how did your team come together? Uh, well, we, other than being musicians, we both work in the freelance TV movie industry. So we met one day on the set of a local TV show here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I had been working there a while, and it was Billy's first day. And uh, I, I tend to just come up to the new people and talk to them and help them feel comfortable in the studio. And uh, just there's a lot of downtime in TV, and there's a lot of time to sit down and talk about completely unrelated things to the job. And that's when we just started talking about ghosts and paranormal stuff. And I had mentioned to him that this particular studio that we were in that day could be haunted. Oh, nice. So that's how uh, we first kind of hit it off. When it came to music, did you guys hit it off too? Was there anything, like any bands in particular that you could agree on? Or was it like, I like metal, he likes country kind of thing? <laughs> well, I do like metal, and he part does like country. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a metal guy myself too. Uh, but we've actually, we've never really talked a lot about music together. We both kind of do our own thing musically. And um, whenever we're together, all it is is paranormal and ghosts. That's what our topic of discussion always dwindles down to. Okay, well, make sure anyway that we'll put a, a link to any of your songs or something like that or your YouTube channel on the show notes because uh, it's always fun to see other musicians who are into the paranormal and weird stuff like we are. So that's, yeah. I mean, musicians are weird enough. So when you add this <laughs> element to it, it it's extra fun. So, right. So you guys met and, and gelled on a local TV show. And once you made that pilot originally, like... 
Did you put it up on YouTube? Like what happened next that it all of a sudden became like, you know what, we're going to spend a, you know, a couple years of our life doing this. Well, the, the great thing about filming the pilot was um, we had such basic tools. We had like things that anyone can have in their house, voice re- a voice recorder or even, you know, a laptop with a microphone or your iPhone. <laughs> yeah, we filmed a lot of it, several segments of it with our iPhones. And uh, so it was very encouraging to see that we could use basic everyday things and gather such amazing evidence and being our first time doing it together. Um, So when we reviewed all of our evidence and Billy, he's the editing master. He's the one that does all the editing for the episodes. He edited the first piece together and it's like we had a story and we had drama and we had history and we had evidence. And it really just invigorated our drive and our ambition to do it more and more and more. And even though on the internet it had like four four views, <laughs> right? The amount of views wasn't discouraging, or it didn't have any kind of factor in it. It was more that it was just fun, and there was a rush, and it was just really, really good to do. And you know, you get addicted by the whole process too, because then every time you go in the next one, you're like. Well, let's, you know, hopefully we'll find something more. We'll take what we learned from the previous one and adapt that to the next one. And so, you know, we just started after that one, we just started going to more like public locations because we didn't really pitch these private places. So we would go to the park and we would, you know, you can't, you know, we would, we would you know, make our way into the park at night. Yeah. <laughs> we, we try to just early on get just kind of get our feet wet. And then, mm. yeah, the, the park Billy's referring referring to uh it's this old bridge called moore's crossing and uh it's off limits at sundown but as you know as a ghost investigator your best results are late at night so we had to sneak into this park you know fearing hobo attacks <laughs> and, uh, i think we we're more scared of the hobo attacks than the ghosts right <laughs> yeah early, you know early on we just do whatever we can to get experience and develop our skills and learn new techniques and as we got more comfortable with ourselves and with our uh, ways of doing it, that's when we started approaching more well-known businesses throughout town. But how long was it from that, that first night to your next episode? You know, kind of thing is it like, okay, we did this and for a couple months it kind of rolled around in our heads or whatever. Or was it like once, once you felt it, you were like, we got to go out and do this, man. We got to get out there. Like those ghost hunters have nothing on us. <laughs> Well, the, the thing is about Austin is there are a lot of haunted places, especially in the downtown area. There's a real dark history about this city that nobody really wants to talk about. So I think when we started doing this, we just, you know, pretty much pitched everyone. And whoever would bite, we would, you know, go there. And even if it was kind of iffy, would still go and do it just, you know, to build up the experience. And we got some, you know, really good house calls as well. And people started referring other places to us and we're starting getting calls to do all this stuff so it 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 really picked up quick because nobody in this town actually was doing anything like this and yeah there were lots of like little independent uh hobbyists investigators doing it but they weren't doing it to share their data or document the history of these places they were just doing it for their own personal like we're investigators we just want to do this for fun but we're going to keep all of our evidence secret and we're not going to share it uh, so a lot of places around here did really seem to open up to us very quickly because they were excited about the history of their particular building 
getting out there and people finally getting to hear about it. You know, to take it back a little bit, I'm I'm interested when you guys were talking about when you were bonding on this, you mentioned your personal stories. So, and, and this is, um, I mean, when I tell people like, oh, I work on haunted history tours and I've got this podcast where we talk about conspiracies and UFOs and ghosts or, you know, that gets me a weirder look than saying I'm in a band, right? <laughs> you know, usually in a band, like, oh yeah, you're in a band. I, get, I mean, in Austin, everybody's in a band. So that's, you know, this is a great differentiator. But, um, you know, you, you get that look from people like a, uh, you do haunted history. I don't even know what that means. And so... To get from that, you know, to the point where you guys are paranormal investigators, um, what happened to you when you were younger that, you know, that, you know, you're like, you know what, this is something I'm okay with and I want to do it and it's it's a passion for me because I feel like it has to be a passion for guys like us. It definitely is. But, you know, I don't even know where to begin. I, I grew up in a haunted house It's pretty much my first 12 years. I grew up in a haunted house and the spirits in there interacted with me and my family on a daily basis. So growing up, I got to experience a lot of stuff. I still up to the, uh, today. I can't even explain. And the whole reason for the haunting was it was built. This house was built on top of a burial ground. So there's a lot of real unexplained stuff going on. A lot of things, you know, I've seen objects levitate. I've seen full body apparitions. I've heard all the noises, the name calling it would constantly talk to us. I've ex- even experienced like a brief moment of time loss as a child. So, well, were your parents like, well, I mean, we've got the, we got the mortgage for it, so I guess we're here. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is my mom, I think my mom is sort of psychic a little bit because she would tell me all the time she would have conversations with them, like constant every day. So it was it was like growing up with that stuff. It, it, I never felt threatened by it, but it was definitely creepy. And then when we moved out of that house up, you know, I'd have little experiences here and there, but then into adulthood, I would start, you know, getting a little bit more experiences. So, and then with the technology and everything that's kind of progressed, it kind of, you know, brought back that interest to me to, you know, what, what did I experience as a child or, and as an adult? And I kind of want to explore that, which kind of led to this, you know, me being a paranormal investigator and, you know, to strange town. So you felt this, you, you felt this in your entire life. Yes. That's it. Okay, that's really interesting because, you know, I hear a lot of stories where people are like, you know, I never believed in this stuff. And then one day a Civil War soldier just walked into my living room and gave me a high five. And then I knew from then, you know, it, it's real, all of it. And so, <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing is, is a lot of skeptics I talk to, they're the ones with all the paranormal experiences, <laughs> which is weird. So you grew up in a hot house. And how about you, Mark? Well, when I first met Billy, he, he, he basically told me what he just told you, and I was so super jealous. I, uh, as a kid, that's like all I wanted was to be able to experience those things because somehow I was just a natural believer. Um, I mean, I'm a skeptic, but it's the kind of thing I want to believe in. Like somehow I just knew there was something else out there, something happening around us. I was always like watching the X-Files and Unsolved Mysteries and that Leonard Nimoy show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I would find myself in the library reading books about the subject, just trying to learn more about it. Uh, Even though nothing was happening to me, I was still open to it and wanting it to happen. But I finally had my first experience when I was about 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I was going to go spend the night 
at a friend of mine's house, and he had told me that it's haunted, and, and he was so excited about it, and that upstairs uh, in his room, the previous owner, who was this, uh, this old lady, she passed away on her own in the bedroom. And uh, the family, they could, my, my friend's family, they could be coming home late at night, and all the lights in the house would be on. And they didn't leave any of them on. And this was a reoccurring thing, especially this one particular hallway light upstairs. And uh, so it was time to go to bed. And I started getting a little freaked out about all these ghost stories about people seeing a woman and hearing footsteps and lights turning on that I decided to sleep downstairs. But I slept at the base of the stairs and my head was kind of looking up at the top of the staircase and around two or three in the morning, I woke up feeling just kind of uneasy. And um, I, I was having trouble sleeping. And all of a sudden, at the top of the stairs, I hear footsteps walking from like one door across the hallway. And when the footsteps reach the top of the stairs, I see there's no one there. But I keep hearing these footsteps walk across. And then all of a sudden, that light switch flips on. And I knew that in that moment, something that was unexplainable was happening. Because here's these footsteps, an invisible entity, and something physical is happening. Oh, that's great. Well, I mean, your 13 girls are awkward enough, you know? And now, and now you got dead ones. That's even crazier. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. So, so you guys both had things that led you to except that there are things we can't explain, especially stuff that, you know, uh, I feel that there's stuff that's obvious. Like when you take a picture and you see a bunch of orbs in it or whatever, you're like, okay, you know, we know that's dust and bugs. But when you see something like, well, I heard a bunch of, I saw basically an invisible person turn on the lights and my mom would make breakfast with the ghosts in the house. Like those kind of things, you know, <laughs> leads you on. And so that's exciting. So when you guys started out, you got the TV show rolling, things together, got the pilot up, start to make it into a show. And since you worked in television, that seems like a natural, you know, like a, a natural extension of your talents. Um, what was the, the first investigation you had where you're like, I can't believe we got this on tape or on video, right? A tape. What am I dating myself here? But, but well, uh, you're right in that. Yeah. Being in the TV um industry it has we we do have the advantage of that we know how to technically document things properly and we have the ability and the technology video and audio wise to document these things so that's that's a huge incentive right there and that we have all this technology so why not use it to help gather evidence and further document this weird stuff that's happening out there and i think one of our very first like official investigations is very memorable. Uh, like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe we captured this. Uh, it was a house in Maynard, Texas, brand new house. It used to be a cornfield, brand new subdivision. No one ever lived there. But right after the family moved in, they were seeing a little girl appear in one of the upstairs bedrooms, wearing a nightgown, just looking sad, sitting on the end of the bed. And they described her as being around 12, 13, 14 years old. And when we went to investigate, 
we had a spirit box and we were asking uh, the numerous roundabout of questions based on what we knew and what we were trying to figure out. And for people that might not know what the spirit box is, can you explain that piece of equipment real quick? Yeah, spirit box is a device that scans the radio waves at such a rapid uh, pace to where it uh, eliminates a white noise in between the channels. And supposedly a spirit can communicate in that white noise in real time. So it's a, it's a way to electronically try to, if some if something or some creature, some entity, some spirit can uh, mess with the radio waves, stop it at certain points and things like that and communicate through it, That that's what they're talking about bringing. Just want to, for the people who don't know what a spirit box is, like, what is it, a Ouija board or something? <laughs> Yes, it's, it's an electronic device that emits white noise, and theory suggests that entities can use the white noise to speak. And yeah, it, like Billy mentioned, it goes through the radio waves so quickly that it's not, there's no really a chance that you're actually hearing the radio, because it's like hundreds of radio stations a second. So when you get a response or an answer, it's happening over hundreds, hundreds of weeks hundreds of radio stations at once. So in this particular case, uh, we asked, or Billy asked, how old are you? And immediately we got the voice of a young girl saying 13. Okay, and, and hold on. I believe that we have that EVP right here. So this is um, from the Manor House, and this is asking how old are you, and we're going to play it real quick for you right here. Yeah, you can you can hear it there. Yeah, pretty pretty and, weird. And so that's coming from the box. Yes, it's coming through the speaker that's also generating the white noise. So you you were in that room where they'd seen the girl. Was the family with you or anything at the time, or they kind of let you have the run of the house, or were they like, you know, you guys, if you're going to be talking to, to talking to the spirits, we're going to go to Pizza Hut or whatever. <laughs> That's pretty much what they did. Yeah, they gave us the house for the evening. But, uh, you know, what was intriguing about that place was the, the family that was living there had no idea who these spirits were. They had no idea of the stories of the land. And so we had our work cut out for us. So we, we kind of went into this investigation with the stories that they told us. So we really didn't know what to expect when we were there that night. But ever since we're there setting up for all our stuff, I mean, it, that house was pretty much active from when we got there to set up to the point when we left. And, uh, you know, there was also, uh, the, there was a teenage daughter that lived in that home. And she, during our interview with her, she told us she once was taking a shower and she ended up with all these scratches down her leg. And she actually took photos of these scratches and showed it to us. So uh, at that time of the evening, Mark, you know, we, we were wanting to see if that would happen and Mark can finish the story. Yeah, she was also waking up with scratches on her body. And at oh, first man. I was skeptical, thinking maybe she was scratching herself somehow. But it sounded like the scratches were in parts that you can't really reach on your own. And there was always four of them, like four scratches. Okay. So uh, at this point of the night we were in the room where this was happening and i was getting kind of aggressively aggressive about my questioning and kind of uh demanding that something happen and you're, I was like, you're going zach, zach baggins style like come at me bro 
<laughs> Shirt off and everything. Yeah, muscles and all that stuff. I, I worked out just to go to that into that bedroom. Nice. No post production uh, necessary for those muscles. <laughs> we even thought about just covering ourselves in tattoos, you know. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I was getting kind of demanding. Like, if you're here, you gotta let us know somehow. Can just scratch one of us, make your presence known. And about thirty seconds later, I started to feel a warmth on my on my side, on my rib cage, on my left side. And at first, I was kind of ignoring it, but it got more and more intense. And it got to the point where I lifted up my shirt, and lo and behold, there were four scratch marks going down my left side. And they were so deep that it even drew blood. And this all happened on camera. And we had a REM pod, which is a device that emits electromagnetic uh, energy, where supposedly spirit can touch it, it'll go off. And I put it right next to him where the scratch happened, and that thing just went berserk. So whatever was in the room was still standing next to him after it scratched him. That's great. Which episode is that so people can find it? That is going to be episode two, and it's called Santa Claus. Santa Claus. <laughs> it happened on Christmas. Oh, yeah. nice. Well, looking at, you have another EVP from the Manor House, it looks like. Well, this one, uh, there's one where it goes to show where doing how important doing history research can be because... When we were investigating, we had the spirit box out again, and we got a random voice, unlike any of the ones we had heard that night. It was distinctly a male saying, murder them, like murder them. And it kind of, we didn't know what to think of it at the time, but upon returning home and doing some research in the area, we found a New York Times article from the early 1900s about a man in Maynard, Texas, who was like kicking down farmers' doors and killing people with a shotgun? And oh man, this all seemed very relevant. Um, so we, we, you know, we don't actually know if this is the long deceased shotgun man or someone, one of his victims. But it's very interesting that we got such a strong, vulgar comment that ties into such a violent act. Well, let's take a listen real quick. Yep, murder him. <laughs> man, let me tell you, when I first heard that, man, it, I, I didn't know it was referring to Mark and I or what was going on, but I was like, dude, this is, this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you guys go out there, when you're bringing a crew, is it, do you have like a, a couple camera people with you? Do you have a, you know, a sound operator? And it's just you two. It's, it's just, just us. We, we do it all. So they could be, you know, he could be talking about the boom operator. <laughs> like, no, just murder the boom. You're like, yeah, that's fine. I never liked that guy anyway. But no, so it's just, so that's, uh, that's great. And so about how far away is Maynard from Austin? Uh, it's about a 15 minute drive east down the highway. Okay. So it's just a little jaunt. It's a tiny little like farming community. Well, it used to be a tiny little farming community. Now it's like blowing up with population, but, uh, yeah, it just, it used to just be a bunch of cornfields out there. Sure. No, we, uh, we, we played at, at this festival on a ranch in Dripping Springs a few times. And so, oh, okay. you know how, uh, like driving out there, like we I remember one time we had to stop our van because there's a massive snake in the road. And we we're all like, well, I, I guess we got to wait for the snake to cross. <laughs> but right in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's fun. 
It's fun, and it's fun that you saw some that you that you heard some things out there, and the scratches. So that's the episode Santa Claus, and we'll link to that in the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash ninety-eight is where you'll be able to find that. Okay, now let's let's keep going with some more of your investigations. You have some stuff from this place called the Magnolia Hotel, right? Yes. Now, where where is that in Austin? That is the Magnolia Hotel is actually not in Austin. It's okay. In Seguin, it's in Seguin, Texas. It's about an hour and twenty minutes southeast of here, and it is an abandoned. Um, well, it is still abandoned. Yeah, it's an abandoned building built in the eighteen hundreds, and suppose and they have. 13 spirits accounted for that room in this building. Nice. And we, we were very fortunate enough to be one of the first teams to actually investigate this property. It used to be a, uh, a ranger station uh, way back when. It was like a command post to help battle off the Indians. And over time, it evolved from a ranger station to like a horse and buggy depot. And then they actually kept adding on rooms to where it became a hotel and it just kind of built upon itself and built upon itself to where now it's this big rectangular uh, ghost trap house. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think one reason it has so much energy in it is that it's made of a material called um, uh, limecrete, limecrete, which was a form of using limestone to make concrete. Hmm. And as people that are into the paranormal know, limecrete seems in theory to be a material that holds energy well. So anywhere there's a lot of limecrete, whether it's above a town or um, the foundation of a building, it seems to hold that type of paranormal stuff. And this house... Would that be like the stone tape theory or the idea that stone can somehow record images like uh, vinyl grooves could record music kind of thing? Is, is limecrete maybe the, uh, the, the, the stone tape preferred medium? Uh, I've heard of that, and I'm not quite sure if they're uh, inter- intertwined or not. Okay, okay, uh-huh. I wasn't sure. I <laughs> I hadn't heard of limecrete before, but is built buildings built with that usually people find are more active. Well, it's very it's it's rare for a building to be made out of it because it was the a method of use that was just in this part of Texas. But lots of buildings can be built on top of limecrete, I mean uh, limestone, under the earth. And limestone is thought to hold energy. Okay. So a building can be on top of it. But in this case, the building was actually made of it. So some people think that's why there's so many spirits concentrated in this building. How did you guys hear about this place? For Is it like a, an urban legend kind of place where you grow up and you, you hear about this, you know, hotel out in the, out in the sticks where there's a, the ghosts everywhere? Or how did you hear about it? You know, the, when I first stumbled across it, it was actually not really known. It, it just, new owners just acquired it. And um, it had been abandoned for about 20 years yeah. before the current owner purchased it. So I just stumbled across it while we were doing research trying to get our season two going on. Mm-hmm. And I just reached out to them because I guess there were some claims that the owners, you know, felt or heard or seen. And they kind of put it up, I think it was like on a Facebook page. It was like Haunted Magnolia Hotel. And I was like, what is this place? So I kind of reached out to him, and then they agreed to meet with us. And we went there. And the moment we got there, we heard all their stories. And uh, the lady who owns it is a little bit clairvoyant. So she kind of picked up on all this energy. And when we went there the first time, it was just creeping with stuff. 
And it wasn't, it's not necessarily uh, an urban legend to us being in Austin, but the more we spent, the more time we spent in Seguin, we realized it's an urban legend to the people in that city. That the people that live there are all about the Magnolia Hotel. Everyone knows about it. Everyone knows the stories about it, the myths, the legends, the history, and the, the town just absolutely is fascinated with that place. So even though it wasn't on our radar, the whole city of Seguin was definitely aware of it. Now, did the new owners want to turn it into a business? Like, what were they? Are they trying to make it a hotel right now? Like, what are they? What are they trying to do with it? Well, there is. They want to turn it into a museum. Okay. Because uh, there is so much, so many artifacts have been found there. Pictures of people that are relevant to the city. I mean, being a hotel, lots of people came and went, and there's like. Um, there's logs of people when they came and arrived and left. And the owner, she's actually a historian. So she's gone through the names and she has found like lots of significant people that to Texas and to Seguin and New Braunfels and San Marcos. And she's finding relics of pictures and like wristwatches and tools. And she's collecting all these things. And, um, yeah, making a museum out okay, of it. Okay, okay. And so you hear about it, and then you go to investigate the first time. Now, now, when you first got in there and you said you felt it was creeping with something, was that a feeling, or did you, like, when you guys came in, was it just you? Did you get a little tour before the owner let you have at it with the cameras and everything? You know, when you walked in there, what was the investigation like? Well, she she gave us a tour early on. She had already known a bunch of the history about who had died there and how they had died. Um, so she shared that information with us because that's, that's relevant as a ghost investigator. You want to know how people died and maybe who they might be. And just going on the tour through the upstairs part of it particularly, um, I always tell people that the best ghost investigating tool you can have is yourself. You can have all these fancy tools. You can spend hundreds of dollars on gear. But the body is so well-tuned and aware of what's going on around it that you can walk into a room and you can just feel an energy and you can tell if it's good or if it's bad. So as we were getting the tour, you would walk into a room and suddenly it would feel heavy and your chest would feel tight. Another room would feel like happy and lighthearted and, and good. Yeah, it was just a whole mixture of different energy that was all trapped within this building. It was real surreal. Because lots of people, before we investigate, they'll give us a little tour of where mm. things are happening. And usually it just feels like a normal place. Like, okay, I'm in a pizza restaurant. It feels like I'm in a pizza restaurant. Right. And, uh, but when we start investigating, you start to notice these things. But this was the first place where, on the tour, we were already feeling that intense energy. What particular room did you decide to start with then that some of the EVPs will be listening to today where you got them? Like, did you feel like a certain room? You're like, okay, guys, this is the place to try it out first because I can smell them in here. No, I, I, think, I think when we first started the night, didn't we start in the bottom floor or did we start up top? Um, I don't remember, but the, the most intense energy... Uh, was in a, a man named William Faust's room. He was an axe murderer who murdered a little girl, not in the hotel. He murdered her elsewhere, 
but his energy is still lingering in the building, along with the little girl that he murdered. They're both accounted for there. And I think that the most, some of the most intense energy we have felt in that building and many other people that visit the Magnolia Hotel are in the room that William Faust stayed in after he murdered Emma, the little girl. So did he, um, for a little history of it, so did William Faust, like, did he serve any time for it or anything like that? Or did he, you know, just do the murder, like escape, and he's, that's where he escaped to? Well, he did the he, he was He was staying there. He, ran, he stole a horse. He went to the next city over, murdered the little girl, rode the horse back in the middle of the night, and then um, people were trying to figure out who did this horrible crime. Right. Uh, and eventually they realized it was him, and they threw him in jail, and while he was in jail, he got murdered. So it never really got resolved or went to court or anything. Now, this is the thing. Now, did you know about the William Faust story before you guys were there, or did you hear something and then ask about it? It was something we learned while we were doing our first tour of the building that uh, Aaron, the lady who owns it, told us the story about Faust. And she even pre-warned us that if we were in his room for long periods of time, that he did not like it and that he would make sure that we left. Okay. And that's uh, exactly what happened to us as the night went on. Yeah, let's listen to that first EVP that you guys got from the Magnolia Hotel. Here they're uh, asking a question about uh, who's in the room with them, who's upstairs with them, and, um, well, you'll, you'll hear the response. Here we go. Who's upstairs with us? Okay. Now, that was with the spirit box? Yeah, was, yes. All right. And, and so how is the spirit box going to, like, that's a pretty specific kind of thing for a spirit box to say, you know what I mean? Yeah, people are skeptical about spirit boxes because you're using noise from radio stations. A lot of people just blame it as, oh, you're just hearing a DJ. Oh, you're just getting like a walkie-talkie interference. But how often does someone on the radio say Faust? At three in the morning, you know? <laughs> Only on public radio. In the room where Faust was staying in, which is mind-boggling. Right. Yeah. And, of course, we, we heard that one in the moment. And uh, not long after that, um, Billy asked, uh, what's the name of the girl that you murdered? And immediately, we got an answer to that as well. Yep. Now, let, let's check this out. Here's, here's this clip. What's the name of the girl you killed with an axe? There it was, Emma, and, and not the and not the Jane Austen novel. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. And you can it's amazing because you can clearly hear a male say Faust, and you can hear what sounds like a female saying Emma. Yeah, which showed the validation of the history that once occurred in that building. Now, which episode for people uh, who would like to see you know see some of this stuff in action? Which episode is this? Your Magnolia Hotel investigation. That's going to be from season one, and it's called Emma's Little Secret, and it's a two-parter. Uh, the first part is all the history and interviews, and the second part is pure investigation. 
That's great. And, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. And of course, you guys are hearing the EVPs here. Thanks to the, our friends in Strangetown. You got one more EVP from the Magnolia Hotel, though. Uh, this one looks like some weird scratching right on the microphone. When, when did that occur? Well, right after we got the Emma and the Faust hit on the spirit box, uh, I was looking out the, the doorway of William Faust's room that we were in, and I saw a black, shadowy silhouette appear in the doorway and then quickly bolt away. And uh, being the paranormal investigators that we are, we decided to follow the scary stuff. Right. So we, we packed up our gear and we went to where we saw the shadow figure. And later on, when we were listening back to all of the evidence that we had recorded, uh, we had a tape recorder or a digital recorder running and uh, recording all night long in one of the rooms next to William Faust's room. And so we, we, we heard Faust, we heard Emma, and the moment before... I saw the shadow person on the audio recording. You can hear what sounds like fingernails scratching on the microphone of the porter. There's no cat like in the hotel or anything, right? No, like pets or anything? Uh, Okay. It's just us up there. Okay. And here we go. Yeah, if there's nothing in the room, what's going to make that sound? You know, that's great. Yeah, some kind of, uh, you know, we even recreated it. I got a voice recorder and uh, I scratched my fingernails on the microphone just to see what it would sound like. And it's it's identical. Well, well, good. I mean, it looks like, uh, was that in a special room, like of a particular a spirit associated with it? Like William Faust has his room, does... Does that uh, particular room have any any particular spirit associated with it? Uh, where that recorder was placed, um, there there is this particular entity in this room where we did learn years later that this spirit loved to scratch on walls. Oh, okay. So we're thinking that was what it was, but instead of scratching the wall, he decided to scratch on our voice recorder. Okay, awesome. Now. You guys got to go back to the Magnolia Hotel for the uh, with the Ghost Brothers, didn't you? We we've gone back a couple times. The first time we went was actually for Ghost Adventures. Oh, okay. And, uh, we met with Zach and the crew, and they interviewed us. And uh, unfortunately, they had to cut out cut out our interview due to time constraints. Of course, they cut out the good part. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They don't know what they're missing out on. Uh, but yeah, um, unfortunately. Billy was on tour at the time that the Ghost Brothers came through, uh, so only I could go down there. But yeah, um, we went back, and I got to investigate with them for a couple hours at the Magnolia Hotel. And, uh, you know, with your experience with making your own reality show and then being part of a big-budget reality show, did you hear any differences there that, you know? Uh, Well, we're not scripted. (laughs) Right. And we don't, we don't have a fancy, crafty table like we do. <laughs> we, we don't bring sandwiches with us and sodas. <laughs> okay, but there was nothing like, they're like, well, we got to make something happen here. They kind of just let the evidence roll as it rolled? Right. The, yeah, the investigative portion of it, that was all real and legitimate. Um, but we, 
all every all this stuff, I don't want to like badmouth them, but no, all the no. stuff in between, you know, they have a field uh, supervisor and there's a producer, and everyone wants to make sure that everything's covered properly. So they they do several takes on their conversation. And yeah, for me, that, that's a strange thing to be a part of because when Billy and I film an episode, it's all just very in the moment and genuine, and we don't do double takes. Uh, you, as you, you see what you get, and um, we like to leave the evidence up to the viewer to decide whether it's real or not, unlike a lot of these shows where I feel like they're kind of forcing the evidence on us and like trying to convince us that this stuff is really happening. And we like to leave it up to the viewer to make that decision. Well, I think that's uh, good to know, though, that you were, you know, you guys were there for part of the investigative portion and you didn't like nobody was just BSing their way through it. That, you know, of course, if they find something small, you know, it's they're going to bachelorize the hell out of it and turn it into, you know, like, what do they see next? <laughs> you know, after the break, uh, you know, Satan himself shows up. But, you know, <laughs> but it's always good to see. It's like, yeah, you know, a lot of what they did was legit because you know you the people who say who are you know true believers and say that these you know these guys wouldn't lie paranormal state it's all it's all real and then you get people to say it's all scripted so know that they are looking for you know they're doing their best to look for something at the same time they're taking whatever they get and they're sensationalizing it that's yeah i mean you guys work in tv you know <laughs> that's that's the game yeah we don't we don't sensationalize uh we do our best not to um we try to react very naturally and we don't try to like, it's really super excited about it. And we don't add cuts like right before something exciting happens. Uh, we want people to kind of feel like they're with us right then in the moment. And uh, they're investigating alongside with us in our episodes. Cinema verite as well, <laughs> as, as far as paranormal reality can be. <laughs> so, you know, when I was listening through your EVPs before, a couple of my favorites I wanted to get to. This one from the Clay Pit restaurant. Now, to me, that just sounds like the person's in the room with you. Yeah, that was a very, very clear answer. So let's set that one up real quick. Where is the Clay Pit? What, what kind of restaurant is it? Is it scary? What's the deal with it? Well, the Clay Pit is kind of one of those urban legend things where I've heard about it my whole life. It's a uh, Indian cuisine restaurant that's in between like the University of Texas and downtown Austin. Okay. It's on Guada Guadalupe Street. Uh, amazing food. I recommend everyone go there. They're not endorsing me, I swear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll call the clay pit for a free dinner for getting in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of numerous stories about it and what is supposedly there. But in particular, the most interesting part, the most interesting aspect of history is that it has a cellar. And the cellar of the building um, supposedly was an underground tunnel that fed, one of them went to the Capitol so that the Capitol could transport um, senators and legislators back and forth. Uh, it was also an underground speakeasy, which is why the people from the Capitol would want to come down there and have a good time. And uh, it's also theorized that tunnels went to other parts of the city, to other speakeasies and other underground bars. Um, and being such an illegal activity, there were new, supposedly numerous murders down there, particularly the ladies of the night, you know, the, as you want to call them. Um, 
And workers that work at the clay pit now, they'll go down there to take a nap because it's quiet and it's cool and it's away from all the crowded commotion upstairs. And they'll often wake up from their nap and um, they'll hear a woman saying their name or they'll feel a gentle touch on their shoulder or a caress of their hair. And a lot of people think that it's probably one of the women that was murdered down there. Well, you guys went down there and let's hear what you heard. Did you die in this tunnel? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really just something going like, yeah. I'm like, okay. She, she's very, like, almost sounds very proud of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you bet I did. <laughs> no, that, that's great. And what episode can people find that in? It is uh, also in our season two series, and I believe it's just titled Clay Pit. Clay Pit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got tired of coming up with title names, <laughs> so we started calling the names of the location. Go by so- the place. <laughs> well, just to wrap up, is there anything in particular you feel that you guys have found that feels uh, validating, completely remarkable, or you know anything that you like? You want our audience to be like, if you ha- only have time to check out one piece of our evidence or one episode of the show that we think has the, is the best thing we've done or, or the best evidence we got, which one would you say for that? Uh, my personal opinion would be from season two, the Hay Legal Group. Um, lots of validating EVPs and uh, spirit box hits in relation to the family that used to live there. We repeatedly get their names said. Uh, they're intelligent enough to where one of them even says Billy's name. And um, very, yeah, very, very cool stuff happening there. Well, let's listen to that one real quick because we um, we can't just set it up. It really does say it. And here we go. My name is Billy. Can you say my name, Billy? Yeah, now they know who you are, Billy. I don't see that. That's the weird thing. It's hard to explain to people. It's like, you know, there's obviously something there that was listening to me and responded to my question with my name. So it's kind of like us doing this and trying to determine what kind of parallel universe we're living in and how can this energy listen to what I'm doing or see what I'm doing and us be able to communicate with them. It's real. You know, I think that's the kind of the drive that's kind of kept us going and, you know, trying to explain this whole deal. It's hard to imagine that you're in a dark room and something can obviously see you and react to you and respond to you. Yet me as a human, I can't see it. I can't stop it. I can't prevent it. But there's some kind of energy that's able to do these things. And the Hay Legal Group. Now, I assume it's lawyers that work there. And uh, yes. and my wife's a lawyer, so I can tell you they uh they're very skeptical about everything. <laughs> so <laughs> so how did you get, you know, how did you hear about the place in the first place? Well, this this was one that was referred to us. Uh a friend of ours knew one of the lawyers that worked there, and he was always telling her uh when they were going out to lunch together all the creepy things that were happening to him there late at night. And so she reported it to us and put us in contact with uh, John Hay, who is one of the partners of the Hay Legal Group. 
And uh, we started talking to him and all the people that work there. And you could tell that these people had seen some stuff. They had it in their eyes. They would get nervous talking about it. Um, they, you could tell they were kind of skeptical, but they were so sure of themselves and what they saw, yet they were having a hard time believing it. So then you guys came in and brought out your evidence. Yeah, and everything we found was, you know, related to the house and the property. And, you know, as part of the, the from start to finish, this whole episode took almost a year. Because oh, wow. you know how they are. They are very busy. So in order for, for, especially for them to hand over their entire office to us with all the legal stuff. Right. Around, time is money. Time. You can't bail the ghost hunters. Right. So we finally did it over the holiday season where everybody was on vacation. Ah, so that smart. explains all the Christmas decorations <laughs> in that episode. Well, we'll definitely link to that. And uh, make sure you check the show notes to see all of these cool Strange Town episodes to learn more exactly about what Billy and Mark are doing because uh, they're having a ton of paranormal fun in Austin, Texas. And uh, the show is refreshing. There's a lot of paranormal web series stuff out there right now. And a lot of it is uh, not the easiest to watch. So don't let that scare you off. It's a it's a pleasure to watch and it's a lot of fun. And what's your website again, guys? It's www.strange-town.com. And you can find us all over social media. Um, our handle is at Strange Town Show, both on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please check out their show. Check them out. And, and where can we find your music, guys? Well, I, I play with a band called Gooding. Goodingmusic.com is um, the website for that group. Oh, wait, you play for Gooding? Yeah, you've heard of him? I've seen him in Madison a bunch of times. He used to play the Inferno up here back in yeah. the late, late 90s, early 2000s. Had the awesome mass, uh, multimedia presentation and stuff. Yeah, yeah so we, no, I know Gooding. <laughs> Inferno and at the King Club. In, yes. Yeah, okay. Awesome, awesome. Well, I can attest to it's great music. So make sure you guys check it out. And where do you play? Where can we find your stuff, Mark? Right now, I'm doing a solo project. Uh, it's it's just me. I, I play the drums, and I'm a, a drummer for hire. Nice, nice. So so make sure if you are looking for a drummer in the Central Texas area to check it out. So anyway, I want to thank you guys very much for hanging out with us today, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. All right, thank you. Right. Happy haunting. Okay, so Strange Town, real nice guys. Great dudes. And the most interesting story I thought they had was the EVPs, the electronic voice phenomenon, that they got from the Magnolia Hotel. And they talked to a little girl named Emma. Oh, so sad. Wow. And so that's this week's demo track is a song dedicated to the little girl who was murdered in Seguin, mm. Texas. Actually, she was murdered actually closer to New Brownfells. But... Uh, her killer, William Faust, ran to Seguin, Texas to stay at the Magnolia Hotel, and Emma and her murderer are still there. And this song's for you, Emma. Emma, it's time to go to bed. Tonight you share your room Mama's friend A quiet, peaceful night Sometime in 1874 Oh, Emma Once supposed to be on the floor Oh, Emma You once supposed to be on the floor 
Emma, I pray you never open your eyes I wish you gave that bastard some kind of fight Cut down by the axe of some no good druggist Oh Emma, you died in Texas dust Oh Emma, you died in Texas dust If I saw what he did and he ran terrified But before he ran away he took his blade to his wife's eyes But she said she never saw Committed the crime Oh, Emma Wrong place at the wrong time Sorry, Emma Wrong place at the wrong time for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Finish? Yep. I'll wait for the There's a plane landing. It's a plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool about Gooding. I didn't yeah. know that.